So we're going to look this afternoon now at the idea of fellowship and patience. Um, of all the lessons to, to teach on, uh, this is the one that seems deserving of a lot more attention than what I'm going to be able to, to give. Uh, because the idea of needing to have patience with one another it just takes up so much of the New Testament. Um, we're only going to look at a couple of passages. That doesn't mean it's going to be short, but we're not going to be flipping all over the Bible, but we could. Uh, we need to be impressed with how much the Bible encourages patience with one another. Uh, this text in Romans 14 will be where we're going to spend a lot of our time. Uh, for those of you that were with us on uh, Friday and Saturday, we began talking about fellowship with God. Without that, all of our fellowship is meaningless, useless, and even counterproductive. Think about the fellowship that they had at the Tower of Babel. Uh, without fellowship with God, it's just not going to work out. But when we have fellowship with one another, that is a beautiful thing, how lovely and how good it is. We need to be thinking as we gather together and as we not just assemble together, but as we work together through the course of our week and of our lives, we need to be thinking about that. But there are limitations to that. God has placed limitations on our fellowship and we have to respect those limitations especially recognizing that there are some bad people in the world and surprisingly bad people even within the church. And we have to be cautious of that. We uh, discussed 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. That's not the guys down uh, you know, smoking marijuana or whatever on the corner. That's talking about false teaching in the church in 1 Corinthians 15. And so we need to be careful of that. Uh, you were with us for the, the last hour, and we talked about the necessity of having a purity in a fellowship. And sometimes to get that purity, pain is involved. But we need to, to suffer through that doing what God wants us to do. It's a joy then to reach this point for me to be able to, to focus on and to talk about the, the patience that we need to have. You've experienced that. Uh, uh, three hours yesterday, some of you were here for, and it took a lot of patience to sit through that, uh, all of those lessons. Uh, sometimes we think of patience just in that, that I have to wait something out. We're going to see that patience is really a lot deeper than, than that, and it's going to require a lot of sacrifice. So uh, as we go through and talk about that in Romans 14 and 15, uh, but before we get there, I want to turn to one other passage that we were in in the last lesson in Matthew, the 18th chapter. Matthew chapter 18, we'll begin there. We talked about this idea, horrible idea, of a three-step process toward disfellowship. Uh, you go and talk to them, you take somebody else with you, a couple of people with you, and then you get it to the church, and then you can kick that person out. And Just a terrible thought. It's not at all what God is designed to hear. And I just want to emphasize that by uh, seeing that pericope, there I got to use that word, Grady, uh, that small section, it's just a fancy word that Nobody ever uses, and I learned it by accident, so I like to throw it out every once in a while. Matthew 18, 15 through 17, a small section of Scripture, but we ought to see it in the larger context of Matthew 18. Notice what happens right before those verses. 
you have the story in Matthew 18 and in verses 10 through 13 of the man who has a hundred sheep and he loses one. What's he going to do? He's going to go out to the mountains to seek that one and he's going to find it and he's going to rejoice over that. And then right after that text of dealing with a sinning brother, then you have Peter coming to him in verse 21 and saying, how often should I forgive my brother when he sins against me up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, 490 times. He's not in 70 times seven. He's not intending us to count. He's just saying, no, to the fullest, because for a Jew, seven was an important number, and, and that was a full number. So up to seven times? And she's like, no, more, infinitely, you need to be willing to forgive your brother. So right before the text, he talks about forgiveness. And right after the text, he talks about forgiveness. What do you think Matthew 18, 15 through 17 is emphasizing, therefore, that we need to be seeking reconciliation and forgiveness? That's what the text is about there, trying to win that brother back, like the shepherd, like the person that's willing to forgive over and over and over again. That's the kind of forgiveness that we need to be seeking, the reconciliation, and in order to have the biblical fellowship uh, that God desires from us. So let's turn now to Romans 14, and Jonathan read for us the beginning of uh, that uh, chapter, Romans 14 and 15, and talking about, and I'll be reading from the New King James, slightly different, but very much the same idea as what Jonathan read in verse 1, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not, not to disputes over doubtful things. And so he's talking about a strong brother receiving a weak brother, and uh, as we read through the text, it's dealing with somebody who uh, can eat and somebody who else can't eat, somebody who observes a day and can't uh, observe a day. Um, and who's it talking about? Uh, well, you've got Jews and Gentiles that would fit into that category. Well, which is which in the text? I think you can take your choice. Uh, I don't think it really matters a lot for us as far as application today. Um, but we'll examine a little bit of thought about that. At the end of this text, actually the thought carries through the 14th chapter into the 15th. And in chapter 15 and in verse 7 in the New King James, it says, Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And that the Gentiles might, be glorified, uh, might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as he's talking about receiving one another, he begins in chapter 14 in verse 1 by, by saying, Receive the weak brother, and, or the, in Jonathan's translation, said to welcome him. And in chapter 15 in verse 7, he says, Therefore receive one another. That's... That's the brackets. We need to think about how we're going to receive one another. And so whether it's Jew or whether it's Gentile, it doesn't make a lot of difference for us. In this text in chapter 15, you have the thought of that Jesus in verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. That's to the Jews. 
but also verse 9 through 12 to the Gentiles. God is welcoming, God is receiving all, Jew and Gentile. It's a huge theme in the book, of, uh, the book of Romans. He's receiving everybody, Jew and Gentile. And so whether it's the Jew that's weak or whether it's the Jew that's strong or the Gentile that's weak or the Gentile that's strong, arguments can be made uh, either way. Uh, you might think about the, some Gentile that he's come out of paganism. He's seen all the idolatry and the animals offered up to, to idols. And then that meat is being sold and it's being connected to that pagan God. And he can't eat that meat because it bothers him. He, he thinks back to uh, his false worship. And so he decides that he can't eat that meat. Or it may be the, the Jew uh, who can't eat bacon, who can't eat ham. He, he's thinking of the instructions back in Leviticus, the 11th chapter, and uh, the, the different foods that were prohibited to the Jew. And so he thinks, no, I, I still can't eat those things because he can't let go of what he had grown up knowing uh, perhaps for years and years. And so either one of them are possible. I think the leaning is probably, and I'll just throw up my thought on this and my reason for it, I think the leaning is that the weak person is the Jew. That surprises me in the book of Romans, but I think that's the point because one of the other weaknesses is the, the person who is esteeming days. That would most likely be the Jew that is celebrating certain days uh, and, and is limited to, to that. He's observing those days and he feels like others need to do the same. Uh, so you can take that for what you want. And uh, I've gone back and forth of which one is the weak and which one is strong. But we don't normally break ourselves into groups of Jews and Gentiles today. So that's not the main point, the main application for us. What we really need to think about as we read through this, I've tried to do it for myself multiple occasions. So I'm not just preaching. I'm trying to practice this. But we need to make the self-application. We have to think about how does this apply to me? How does it apply to you? The temptation in studying Romans 4 is to make the application for the other person. If I'm the strong person, I want that weak person to pay attention to these verses. Or if I'm struggling with some issue, I want that strong brother to, to heed these, uh, these commands here. And, and when we do that, we've missed the point. He wants us to make these applications. Sometimes I found myself to be the weak brother. Sometimes I find myself to be the strong brother. It's not always consistent, uh, at least in my life. I don't like to admit that I'm the weak brother. But sometimes because of baggage from my previous life, I, I struggle with some things that I see brethren doing. And I think, oh, they, they shouldn't do that. that. That might lead to something else. And then I have to step back and say, okay, is there a command? Is there a clear instruction? But no, but it's it still, it might cause them to. And so I want to make a really extra strong argument and almost make it a biblical argument when really I just have to acknowledge, no, this is a weakness of mine. And so I have to read Romans 14 and 15 for me and how will I deal with that? In Romans 14, as he's talking about the weak or the strong um, and, uh, and which one I am, I have to, to make that application in, uh, get to, to this here, uh, not despising. In Romans 14, beginning in verse 2, For one truly believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. 
I like that because I really like meat, so I want to think of the weak person as the one who's only eating vegetables. It's not vegetarian question in this text. It's the idea of not being able to eat meats because of either its connection with uh, what was prohibited to the Jews or paganism for the, uh, the Gentiles. Uh, it has nothing to do with, with health issues and, and that sort of thing. But the strong brother in this text can eat the meats. And the weak brother is only going to be able to eat vegetables. And so in verse 3, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And then he basically repeats that in verse 10. So saying it twice in the text means it's something that he really cares about. And so uh, let not him who eats despise him who doesn't eat. Sometimes I'm strong enough that I know that something is okay. And I see some brethren struggling with that. And I think, oh, they need to grow up. They need to do better. They need to study through this like I did, and they need to come to the conclusion that this is all right. Why do I need to forego my liberties when just because it's their problem, they haven't studied enough, they haven't grown enough? I'm despising them when I have that attitude, when I think that way. Now, I would never say that out loud, and you wouldn't either. But sometimes we might tend to look down upon somebody that is struggling with something that we're not struggling with. That's what he's describing here. Or on the other hand, let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. And so here you've got somebody who's not eating the vegetables because of conscience sake, or not eating the meats because of conscience sake, and he is passing judgment on those who are going to uh, the Golden Corral. Uh, you know, they're, they're the ones that, that, are, that are eating the, the big uh, burger with, with bacon on it and everything else. And they're saying, oh, they ought not to be doing that. That's, that's wrong. Don't they know what? And don't they know what God said in Leviticus? Or don't they know that that came from a, from a pagan offered animal? And so they're judging the other people. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't despise. Don't judge. Whichever side you're on, you have to say, I can't have this attitude. It really is just begging us to make the application for ourselves. And the reason why we need to have that attitude is because we're servants. Notice what he says in verse 4. Who are you to judge another's servant? It's not my place. Whose servant are they? They're not mine. They're God's servant. God is the judge. I need to not be passing judgment. I need to not be trying to sit in God's seat passing judgment on them. Now, we made the distinction in the, the last lesson. I forget. They all blend together. Uh, that We have to make judgments. But it's not Supreme Court kind of judgments. We don't pronounce innocence or guilt. What we do is make judgments about how we're going to deal with individuals. Uh, we're going to, to make conclusions based upon what the judge has said. But here he's saying that uh, the person who, can, uh, who, who can't eat ought not to judge him who eats because we are servants. That person is a servant. And because I am a servant, we are fellow servants. To his own master, he stands or falls. Now, that's a tough thing for me sometimes because I want to be overly worried about what other people are doing, even beyond what's clearly stated in the scriptures. Uh, you know, sometimes I think the Bible's really clear. We need to be like minded. We'll get to that in a moment. 
What does that idea mean of being like-minded? We'll think about that in a second here, but be contemplating that. One of the things that we need to be mindful of is that we don't violate our consciences, verses 5 through 8. Somebody esteems a day, food, whatever the case might be, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. And you need to make sure that that is between you and the Lord, that you're doing that for the Lord. Whether you're eating or whether you're not eating, one person eats to the Lord and he gives thanks. One person doesn't eat to the Lord. He's abstaining from that because he wants to serve God and he gives thanks to God for that. Well, that, that's fine <laughs> because no one lives to himself. We live and die to uh, the Lord. And so we need to make sure that we don't violate our consciences and we don't ask other people to violate their consciences. So if somebody feels that they need to do something, somebody feels that they cannot do something, we, we don't try to shove bacon down their throat. We don't try to force that upon them. We don't try to trick them. Uh, we, we don't try to insist that they do that. That doesn't mean that we don't study the issues. Everything in the New Testament teaches that we should. We want to come to a greater knowledge. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want to learn more. But while we're in that process, we ought not to be asking people to violate their conscience, to do things that they believe uh, are sinful things. And again, uh, this isn't a mistake on the slide. Uh, we need to make the application for ourselves. Uh, I did, as I kept reading through this, I was thinking of scenarios where I have not done this well. And, and I just keep thinking, I've got to think of this text for myself. It's very tempting when I get into a Bible study and we disagree about something, and maybe it's a tricky topic, and I think, boy, I, I hope he's thinking about Romans 14. I hope he would realize that if he thinks that that's okay, that he would act the way that Romans 14 deals with that. Just make things a lot easier for us if he would just apply Romans 14. Well, right then is where I need to be applying Romans 14. Drop down to verse 13 here. It's a conclusion that he gives for this section. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. He really seems to be emphasizing more throughout this chapter on the strong brother than on the weak brother. Uh, that's maybe that's one of those things that's a, a, a duh moment. Um, the weak brother is going to struggle with applying this. The, so he's, he's warning them, uh, you know, if you feel like you've got a liberty to do something, don't put a stumbling block in front of somebody who is weak. Often that weak brother may be a new Christian. Maybe he's somebody who has fallen away and coming back. Maybe he's somebody who hasn't applied the scriptures the way that, that he should. Uh, it's going to be harder for him. And so while we always want to feel like we're the strong brother, if you are, then you take the high road. You make sure I'm not going to put a stumbling block. I'm not going to cause that brother to fall. I can forego my liberties in order to uh, try to help the, the other brother uh, that, that's, that's struggling with those things. And so I need to, to make sure that I live that way. In the next section in verses 14 through 23, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, 
But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who, ser- he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything which your brothers, which, uh, by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not of faith is sin. So what's the kingdom of God about? It's not about eating and drinking. We discussed some of that yesterday. We need to make sure that that's not the focus. There's a huge push has been for years, decades, I guess, uh, of a social gospel, focusing uh, on, on that kind of thing. And he's saying it, it needs to be beyond that. It, it's not about eating and drinking, and, and it's not about what I can do in, in, in this physical life. The kingdom of God is about spiritual things, righteousness and love, uh, righteousness and peace and, and joy, verse 17. Uh, yesterday, I made the statement, uh, quoting a friend of mine, uh, talking about when people say, well, you know, uh, in and of itself, that, that's, that's okay. And I said, you know, there's, there's really nothing that's in and of itself unless it's maybe in some uh, test tube or uh, chemically or something like that. But, but we as people, we don't function, we don't operate in and of ourselves. And so we ought not to, to make that point. Here, I think that uh, you, we have that idea even given in uh, verse 14. I know I'm convinced by the Lord that there's nothing unclean of itself. <laughs> but the problem is that, it, that there isn't because we're dealing with each other in nearly every scenario. And so we ought not to think, well, but this is okay. But how is it affecting others? Always needs to be, always needs to be my concern. Verse 15 if you haven't gotten this, if you've not thought about this a lot, I don't know, I just want to encourage you to, to underline, to highlight whatever you need to do for, for this in verse 15. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Now, the application that Paul is making is something very specific for the Romans dealing with the Jews and the Gentiles. And we, for the most part, don't have that issue with, with foods. But whatever it is, you need to substitute that thing in this text. Do not destroy with your fill-in-the-blank the one for whom Christ died. Which is more important? So there's something that, that is very concerning to a brother in Christ. He, he thinks that it's wrong. He, he's struggling with, how can you do that? How can you partake of that? How, how, can, how can you engage in that? And, and he's struggling, and, and it's causing him to, to, to lose faith. It's not just that he doesn't like it. I mean, there's probably some Steelers fans here, but I'm going to be okay with you. You know, uh, it, you don't want to know who my team is. Uh, but uh, it's not just about what we like. It's, it's about causing somebody to struggle with their faith. 
You know, that's what he's really dealing with through this whole text. And what's more important? If you can have bacon on your burger, or if you can encourage a soul to be stronger in the Lord, don't destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Can you just picture how ugly that would have been? Think about there in the first century, you know, you, you go into the, the, the local McDonald's there um, in, in Rome, and uh, I know they didn't have them back then, but uh, uh, you, you go in there and, and you see a, a brother there, and he's eating a salad, and you walk up and you're like, oh, they got that new uh, bacon burger, I, I want to get one of those. And you look over and you know, oh, he, he thinks that that's wrong. Yeah, but I want bacon. But he thinks it's wrong. What am I going, which, which is more important? There, it's just not a question. I need to be willing to forego my liberties. If I think that something is okay, I'm not going to sit down there and destroy him. That's the way that the text is saying. And, and just think about the scenario. Is it literally destroying him? He can get up and walk out if he wants to. That's the, that's the attitude that brethren have. Well, that's just, that's his problem. That's his weakness. Yes, it is. But his weakness is my problem. I've got to be thinking about that. I can't destroy with my food or anything else that which is going, uh, the one for whom Christ died. Righteousness, uh, Righteousness, peace, and joy is what we need to be focusing on with each other. I'm just impressed with how many ways he says essentially the same thing, but really trying to drive it home. He had just said in verse, the end of verse 15, don't destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. And then in verse 20, do not, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. How is that different? The end of verse 17 and the beginning of verse 20. Don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Well, what is the work of God? It's those saved souls. There may be some nuances there that are different. But I think he's really trying to just emphasize, don't hurt the salvation of others because of things that you feel like are your liberties. The end of verse 14 is kind of tricky. I think we just have to accept it. You have two brothers that are doing the exact same thing. For one of them, it's not a sin. And for the other one, it is. They're doing the exact same thing. Verse 22, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he proves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. So you can have an individual who is enticed by your eating. I mean, it looks good. And so he decides, okay, that brother, I really respect him. I like him. I I want that too. And so he decides then to buy that bacon burger. And he eats, but it's convicting him. He feels like he's sinning against God. And so he's doing an act that is not sinful in and of itself. (laughs) But because he believes that it's wrong, then he's acting in rebellion. And and I've enticed him to do that. I, I need to not have that attitude. I need to be willing to give that up. In chapter 15, in verse 1, he says, We then who are strong ought to bear with. The idea of bearing with means to hold up, to, to support, to, to strengthen. We need to bear 
with the scruples of the weak. It's like beams in a building that are acting as support. We need to hold up that weak brother, not allow him to crumble. He says that what we need to be doing, and he says it twice again, verse 2 and in verse 3, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. And then verse 3, he gives the example, for even Christ did not please himself. And so if you want to be like Christ, then you don't act in selfishness. You don't do, yeah, but this feels good. Yeah, but I enjoy this. Okay, maybe you do. That doesn't matter. You give that up. Eric's points about Jesus leaving heaven. We ought to think about that, and we need to make the application in our own lives. In verse 5, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus. Like-mindedness is kind of a tricky thing. Let me give you the, the definition. It means that you need to think what I'm thinking. No, that's not what it means. That's not what it means at all. That's what we want it to mean. You know, well, listen, we can all just be like-minded if everybody would just hate the Steelers, you know? Then we're, we're all like-minded if we all have that same attitude. No, like-mindedness is toward Christ. We need to have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2 and in verse 5. And again, that text is talking about unselfishness. We need to be willing to give up. May the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that's the key, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the like-mindedness. The like-mindedness is going to produce the, the like sound. We're going to be glorifying God. It's going to provide the, the like actions. We're going to be serving the Lord uh, together. And then in verse 7, he says, therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us. Now, wait a second. That's tough. And, and I think that that's a wonderful place to put a therefore. Therefore, receive one another. No. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us. Those are, the, those are the hard passages. Anytime that it says, just like Jesus did, then we have to go back and study the Gospels and think, how did Jesus do that? Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us. You know, man, as soon as I became perfect, as soon as I quit doing anything wrong, as soon as I figured everything out, Jesus received me. <laughs> no, not at all. Thanks be to God that Jesus showed great love and patience and long-suffering and grace and mercy. Then that's what I need to do. And, and yet... I suspect in, in very true fashion, this verse is not possible. Because you think about the extent to which Christ received us. How, how low we were. How, how, how many horrible things we've done. How weak we are compared to God. Christ received us that much. Now the comparison for me, if, if, when I'm the strong brother and the weak brother is minuscule in, compared, in comparison to that. So really, this challenge should not be an overwhelming challenge. If I think about how much Christ <coughs> received me, what the state I was in and am in, then I ought to be more than willing 
Do you remember the, the parable of uh, the, the man who uh, had a debt and was, unwilling to, uh, and was unable to pay it? And uh, the, the owner forgave him that debt, and it was just a little bit. And he went out and he found a fellow servant who owed, or excuse me, it was a lot. He was unable to pay it. He went out and found a fellow servant who uh, owed him a little, and he grabbed him and said, pay me what you owe. And he was unable, and he had him thrown into prison. That's the picture that you have here of, for somebody who's not willing to obey this. God has received us. It's tremendous. Forgiving us a huge debt. And then somebody comes along and they hurt our feelings. Or they do something that, that we dislike and we're not willing to receive them. Maybe think about Jonathan's translation there of, of welcoming in chapter 14 and in verse 1. Uh, that's the attitude that we need to have. It, it is good for you to come in. You are welcome, the word meaning. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. We are servants. We need to have patience with one another. Sometimes that's difficult. But usually the difficulty is because I'm being selfish. It's because I don't want to give something up. I like it. It's, it's, it's not sinful in and of itself. <laughs> but I'm not by myself. And it's affecting some other brother. It's causing them to struggle with something. And I need to be willing to give that up. Now, the next slide will show you the, the list of things that fall into Romans 14. I'm not giving you that list. I would not dare to suggest a list. I think it's a huge mistake. That list, for me, is not the same as it would be for you. You know, the list of things that are fit into Romans 14 that somebody has the liberty to do but they shouldn't do, there's things over there that somebody else that's standing over here says, well, no, those aren't liberties. Those are things that God is very clear about. And so everywhere we, you have people standing all over the spectrum of that. Well, the idea is not to throw Romans 14 and 15 away since we can't have a list. In fact, Romans 14 and 15 isn't about a list of things that fall into Romans 14. If you get Brotherhood magazines, well, one, I'm sorry, but there are several of them that have attempted to put together lists of, of issues, Brotherhood issues that fit into Romans 14 and 15. That's, that's not what Romans 14 and 15 is about. He gives two examples that were real for them, eating and observing days. What you need to do is make the application for what's real for you. I want to give you one illustration, one example. Again, I'm not going to give you a list, but I do think it's helpful if we sort of get the mind running about what kinds of things. Now, I'm always scared at this point when I preach because when I give an illustration, sometimes people only want to make that illustration or argue about that illustration and not make the other applications that they ought to. So please don't do that. But one place where we would see an application, I believe, to this would be in the clothes that you wear. 
I think that's, that very much fits into this concept. I may feel like I have the liberty to wear or not wear certain things. And that might mean on Sunday, a tie and a coat. Or it might mean at the beach. Or it might mean to work. It might mean how loose. It might mean how tight. You need to think about how does Romans 14 fit into that? I think that is a really important application that Christians need to make. Men and women need to think about that. But there's no passage that says, stop that. Are you more concerned about feeling comfortable in your clothes or are you more concerned about not destroying the one for whom Christ died? Do you, do you see? I, I, I just think without question, modesty and attire needs to be on my mind. I need to go to my closet with Romans 14 in my mind and I need to think about how does this apply to me? And when I see other people dressed in certain ways, maybe I'm the weak brother there. Sometimes I am. And I need to make the applications there and not despising other people for that or not judging other people for that. But we need to think carefully about how to make the proper applications here. Um, But please don't just make the clothing application. Think carefully. Every time that that you come to a a situation where you see a brother is struggling with something that you're doing, be the strong brother. Be the one that helps, that that gives assistance, not that thinks, yeah, but I've got a right to to do that. No, you don't have the right to do that. What, What you have the right to do is to help save him. That's the attitude that you need to have. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to speak before you this weekend as we talked about uh, Saturday. Uh, the last time I was here in 2011, I think there's only a couple of families that uh, uh, overlapped that time. Um, so the statute of limitations were up, and so I was invited back. Um, you are all welcome to come and visit me and my family and the church in Elmira. Not all at once, at least not right now. When we get into our new facility, you can all come at once. Uh, But I would love to get to know you all better. And uh, if the the interstates run both ways, and so uh, you are certainly welcome to to come and and to be with us any opportunity that you have. Uh, I will leave. In fact, Grady already has my phone number and my uh, email address. Through the course of this weekend, surely there are some things that you think I said wrong or that I could have said better uh, or that you don't know what I said. Uh, Sometimes that happens. Uh, And so reach out to me. Um, You know, one of the important things about fellowship is dialogue. Uh, We we need to be communicating with each other. And so if I've not conveyed a a point biblically and clearly, then I want to. I want to be given the opportunity. And I want to especially give you the opportunity to, to speak differently, and I want to hear you uh, in that. Uh, so, so please, I mean that with all sincerity. If there's some way that, that we can come to a, a clearer understanding of biblical fellowship, then uh, it'll be a blessing for me if, if we can continue uh, discussing those things.